Aloha and good day. This is Clint Hansen with Maui Real Estate Radio, broadcasting 7 a.m. on the KAOI Radio Group, broadcasting at 1110 a.m., 97.6 FM, 98.7 FM, and 95.5 FM. Uh, today, we have, of course, our co-host, Byron Yap with Axia Home Loans, and we have a special guest today, Tina Wildberger of uh, District 11, South Maui's representative. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. Thank you to be here. Thanks for the invite. Oh, our pleasure. Our pleasure. Um, before we get started, I wanted to talk to Byron about the, you know, ongoing changes uh, in uh, the, the federal limit of loans, as well as more specifically the rate. There was talk about increasing the interest rate as a need to control inflation. Um, but uh, have you seen any translations thus far or uptick with the uh, interest rates of the last uh, little bit? Uh, yesterday, when they, that was, an, I think it was yesterday, the day before it was announced, we did see a somewhat of a small inch up in rates. Mm-hmm. Maybe they moved up an eighth to a quarter of a point. Uh, today, they seem to have, you know, calmed back down or, you know, kind of mellowed out compared to what yesterday was uh, uh, beginning with the official news. Yeah, they've had quite a balance to be on right now because they're trying to, you know, continue to stimulate the economy with uh, easy money and then at the same time prevent hyperinflation from happening. So the economy, of course, is significantly repressed right now because of everything that we've been dealing with with COVID and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, there's uh, significant concerns with hyperinflation. Um, I was actually happy when I've been reading and seeing some of these things because uh, my whole thought was that the interest rate was going to be increasing dramatically within this next year time and they're actually setting targets uh, for you know rate increases into 2022 so that's nothing like imminent significant or now Um, so it'll be interesting to see how these things uh, come to affect us but what are you seeing right now on an FHA? Um, well, FHA is below 3%, you know, which is a wow. first-time home buyer program. It's tailored for the first-time buyer that, you know, maybe can't get the finan- regular financing through a conventional loan. So what's nice is there's still a lot of new programs for first-time buyers. The hard thing is a lot of them are tailored, I see, I feel, tailored more to the mainland versus Hawaii's needs. Because I yeah. believe Maui, Hawaii, we have different needs in our pricing many different variables that I wish they would consider in the future. Absolutely. I mean, especially considering where the jumbo rate lies and the fact that, you know, average homes are pretty much above that point already. So it's really hard to, uh, you know, get people qualified since there's such a lack of affordable housing out here. Yes. The, the thing is, what we've been uh, helping a lot of people do recently is get into their first property. And, uh, you know, of course, we discussed this when we were talking with Paul Brubaker at our last show and uh, getting people on that escalator. I, uh, I used the wrong term. I said merry-go-round. That's a circle. I'm going to get them on that escalator. <laughs> the, <laughs> the upwards projection of real estate, you know, and the limited inventory, given it's so difficult to develop here in Hawaii. Um, You know, putting and purchasing a condo is an excellent start towards uh, getting ready to purchase a home later on because you're building that equity. And uh, and the condos are, of course, much more in the affordable range. Uh, What have you been seeing in terms of first time home buyers? What are you noticing them purchase these days? Um, Well, well, number one is unfortunately a lot of them, which is unfortunate, they're losing out to maybe cash buyers, but the ones that we are seeing buying 
are either a condo or maybe an attached home, mm -hmm. um, smaller home, you know, get getting their feet wet uh, in the real estate market or starting their equity growth or, you know, their, their asset growth. And uh, in addition to that, beyond first-time home buyers, what are some of the more uh, jumbo rates when you see people getting a loan of a million plus? We're seeing those rates. Uh, actually, the jumbo rates are uh, a little lower than the conforming rates right now in the market. And why do you think that is? The amount down? <laughs> uh, the amount down, yes. Uh, I, you know, a larger down payments, you know, a larger investment, which unfortunately, it doesn't parlay over to the first-time buyer. Mm -hmm. you know, or the one putting lower down is it, you know, it's a little, it's a lot different program. Yeah. It's because the, the, the risk structure, right. I'm at least yes. uh, how the underwriters look at it. So it's always an important factor in determining, you know, loans going forward. And one of the most important things I talk to all my buyers about is the importance of using a local lender. I mean, if you're here and you're coming in Hawaii, specifically the outer islands, there's a lot of idiosyncrasies that people don't realize happen throughout the lending process. I've had people who are, you know, longtime bankers with a particular, um, you know, lender in the mainland or even partners in a bank or owners, partial owners of a bank. And they're like, don't worry, we can get this through. And then I'm like, look, there's a lot of uh, significant issues, you know, catastrophic problems that happen mm -hmm. during the lending process, you really owe it to yourself to use a local lender. And then yes. they're like, no, no, we got this handled. And lo and behold, you know, midway through the process, we end up having a change to somebody that's local. So make sure you work with a local lender. And of course, Byron Yap with Axia Home Loans is always on the very top of my list of recommends. And I'm very appreciative of you helping me co-host these shows. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited today. Yeah, today, Tina. Oh, yeah, Tina. Uh, thank you so much, Ms. Wildberger, for joining us. Uh, District 11, South Maui. I'm so glad to have you join us today. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do. Thank you very much for the invitation, Clint and Byron. I'm thrilled to join you today. I am South Maui's uh, District 11 state house rep. So I work from Honolulu, representing South Maui's interests. And uh, I've been in office since 2018. I kind of got my start as a environmental advocate and activist back in the cane burning days, wondering how we could possibly just continue to inundate homes and schools with terrible cane smoke. I don't know how many people have told me, wow, my kids don't have asthma anymore since they stopped burning. And South Maui is a whole new place since they stopped that practice in 2016. So, um, I was My mom used to get rashes just out oh. of nowhere every time that they burned. So yeah, she was very happy. And the, and the thing, my thing is that the Department of Health was issuing permits for them to do that. And the permit did not, uh, it was a violation of the permit for smoke to inundate homes and schools. So every day there was a permit violation, but the Department of Health was kind of, you know, in bed with A and B and not holding A and B accountable for what their farming practices were doing. You know, when they were doing it a hundred years ago and nobody lived in Kihei, probably wasn't a big deal. But after Kihei developed in the 70s and 80s and this practice continued into the 90s and the early 2000s, we were, you know, making people sick. And so I'm, I'm proud to have my name attached with that effort. And I sort of uh, ended up running campaigns after that. I took a campaign boot camp training 
course called Kuleana Academy, which is run by an uh, environmental ag advocacy group out of Hawaii called HAPA, Hawaii Alliance for Progressive Action. And um, I ended up running campaigns for both Kelly King, who's on our county council, and for Keani Rollins Fernandez, who is our council vice chair and budget chair at Maui County. All right, that's fantastic. One of my favorite was your efforts about aquarium fish. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, I have to tell you that that was um, actually the, 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 the one time I was literally frightened doing my job. Uh, it was a very heated uh, meeting that happened at the Capitol and it was the aquarium fishermen and former aquarium fishermen who became combative against one another. Um, they, people make a lot of money plucking fish off of the reefs and there's virtually no oversight and uh, a, a very robust group of folks who went after this industry uh, and, and actually endangering themselves. I don't know if you remember the story about Renee Umberger who was uh, attacked underwater and her, her reg was removed, was pulled away from her mouth by an aquarium fisher because she was filming them. So oh, wow. um, that's something that was happening robustly on the big island, but also happening here on Maui. They think that people go to Molokini and collect fish illegally. And you know, the DLNR is understaffed for enforcement. So it's something that I'm glad they're not um, currently issuing permits for, but we're still a little more work to do in that area. Yes, I'm sure there's uh, undoubtedly what, poaching that happens too. <laughs> what was the bill? Was it to stop the, the gaining of the fish? What was, yeah, what was involved it, in it? To absolutely prohibit aquarium collecting for the purposes of export of live fish off of our reefs to mainland for uh, recreational aquarium collecting. Mm -hmm. Now, and, keeping it on the beach thing, or the beach, I should say the ocean topic, I, you know, I, I'm confused about this McKenna, McKenna issue where we have no lifeguards there. It's a state beach, but how does that work? Is the county mandate oversee that? How does that work with that beach? So interestingly, there are uh, issues of liability and that's where uh, it gets really gray and hard to understand. So during COVID, uh, DLNR shut down state parks. They, they shut down, they took lifeguards off of five different state parks around the state. And McKenna was the only park where the county didn't go ahead, continue to provide lifeguards there, I learned, sadly. Um, the good news is that the DLNR has found funding and they intend to put lifeguards back at the beginning of the next fiscal year, which is July 1. So oh, nice. at the end of the month, we should have those lifeguards restored, but we have had several catastrophic injuries yeah. since then. And I had been continuing to ring that bell to my colleagues and the DLNR staff to find out, you know, what can we do here? And the parks director, uh, Mr. Cottrell advised me, said, you know, yeah, we took guards off of five beaches and the other counties went ahead and provided guards. And I understand that Maui County took the guards off of the beach and did not lay anybody off and continued to pay those guards, but put them in other places. And I think that there is a, a liability issue that comes along with that. And I don't understand it entirely, but I think that's the issue behind why the guards are not there. Mm. Um, I'm getting a lot of calls about the Little Beach closure. Mm -hmm. um, users, regular users and residents of Little Beach and visitors for Little Beach are 
uh, extremely dismayed at the reduced hours and the gating that has taken place. Um, now the DLNR, while we do not have lifeguards at Big Beach saving lives, are spending a lot of resources on enforcement of nudity. And um, frankly, I feel like that's kind of a puritanical uh, missionary era. Waste of time. <laughs> you, know, um, you, can't claim, you can't claim Hawaiian culture is uh, anti-nudity, right? That was, that, was brought by the, that was brought by the missionaries in the 1800s. So Hawaiian culture didn't have body shaming. And so, so I feel like it's a big part of our South Maui economy. Come July 1st, um, do you think that they're going to be reopening Little Beach uh, as a part of reinstating uh, the, the lifeguards in that area? What so is the timeline they, on that? They did open Little Beach. The hours were reduced to like banker's hours because the DLNR staff that opens and closes the gate work, you know, Monday through Friday, nine to five. I guess they've got somebody on the weekends opening for a period too, but it's not like you can't go to Little Beach for sunset. Mm -hmm. And the original issue was overcrowding and COVID transmission issues with the drum circles that were happening late mm -hmm. evening on the weekend. And so they've pivoted to an opportunity to kind of, you know, enforce uh, anti-nudity laws. And apparently that's what's on the books. Apparently nudity is not legal, but it's hard to ignore the fact that Little Beach has been a place where people can go and nude sunbathe for decades you know when since since statehood and that park has been used that way um, there are very real sanitation issues that need to be addressed and um, there is a plan to put uh restrooms at mckenna which i'm very happy about because people are you know using the, the bushes yeah for uh relieving themselves and that is pro highly problematic Absolutely. Is that, uh, I remember hearing something about it. Of course, this was before COVID started. Were those composting toilets or something along those lines? That's, that's, I did a tour down there with the idea that they had in mind. I understand that they moved away from that for one reason or another. It looked like a good plan to me. It was something that would only have to be pumped something like every 90 days. Mm -hmm. This is something that pumps, It has a, but it, is, it was like a hybrid of composting and container. I would imagine that would be difficult with such porous soil over there. You want to make sure that no volatile organic compounds get into the ocean. So right. we yeah. already know that our our porous rock leaches from the injecting that happens with our wastewater treatment plants, right? So mm -hmm. we Absolutely. To, we really want to manage that better. That's a, a, a tough nut to crack. I mean, back in the day, we're like, just put it deep in the ground. It's going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, so. and we have Cool issues, right? I was really mm -hmm. pleased to see that our congressional delegation, Kai Kaheli, our brand new congressman for um, CD2, has scored $50 million to address our statewide cesspool situation. And Maui has thousands of cesspools that need to be converted before 2050. Mm -hmm. And in fact, in South Maui, all of Maui Meadows is on cesspools. And several properties along the ocean in McKenna are actually on cesspool, if you mm -hmm. can believe it. Oh, that would make sense. There's not a lot of major sewer lines out there. Of course, with the newer development um, of Discovery Land and the massive infrastructure system that they put in place, I'm imagining there's uh, a lot more opportunity to go into uh, a pipe. But yeah, those two acre yeah. ones right across are more on the ag section. The McKenna Wastewater Treatment Plant has tremendous capacity and they actually took some of Wailea offline from Kihei's facility and converted it to the McKenna facility, thankfully, 
Oh, fantastic. We have a lot of development in the pipeline, right? And every flushing toilet is an obligation of our wastewater system. And so we have to take those ideas into consideration as we're doing our community development. I'm assuming that maybe uh, some of those funds uh, that are collected from water, you know, that of course go towards sewer is uh, redirected in order to help pay for that McKenna sewage management then? Is that how a fair yeah. trade, I'm guessing? Because that would be really hard to do. <laughs> that is private. Mm -hmm. That's so what I'm, I'm wondering for the Kihei. I'm not sure how they're funding this. Well, it's a great opportunity, that's for sure, because there's certainly excess capacity over there. And, you know, anything to subside the deep water well injection is going to be a great opportunity for the environment to recover. I just went to a groundbreaking for an experimental project. There's a, a grass called vetiver that it filtrates nitri filters nitrates out of um, R1 water. And it's a pilot project over by the Kihei Wastewater Treatment Plant. Mm -hmm. And they only need, they would only need a hundred acres to do 3 million gallons a day. And that would take the, take the nutrients and the nitrates out of the, out of the wastewater and, and then, you know, not affect our near shore waters. So there's a lot of really great projects in the pipeline that people are working on. I think we can work smarter, not harder with regards to a lot of our challenges. Absolutely. What would be the plan with the grass after it grows? It just grows. Um, mm -hmm. we're talking about what else, you know, because it's just a grass, it doesn't spread, it's not invasive, which, which mm -hmm. they tested, which is great. Um, it's a pilot project for the Maui Nui Marine Resource Council, who started doing water quality testing, concerned about preserving coral reefs, and have pivoted to upland activity and trying to sort of mitigate issues of erosion and water runoff that affect our reefs as well. And this is how this project came to be. And so they talked about being able to do co-plantings with it. It does need sun, and mm. so you couldn't cover it with a canopy, but it's possible that you could combine other crops with that. Mm. Interesting. Um, some of the other things, of course, uh, uh, coming up that I was always a, a big fan of, and I saw with HB1580 uh, was rank choice voting. I love rank choice voting because it really allows people's voice to be heard. How did that go? I mean, I'm assuming not that well, considering how wild of a difference it is. <laughs> Don't have it yet yeah. but there's a huge movement for it new york's mayoral race is doing ranked choice voting right now um, california has ranked choice voting there's a really great movement about ranked choice voting happening here in hawaii and i'm personally a big fan and a supporter of moving to that and it's something that i think that we could see in the you know coming up next couple cycles how do we go and convert to ranked choice how can we help well, testifying at the legislature was made easier during COVID. Um, that's a one little silver Love line. blue jeans. <laughs> right? and, and, and the state was, was really forced kicking and screaming into the digital present. And, and they were forced to do this. It's, it's something they didn't want to do. I hope that the Speaker of the House will um, decide to continue using the technology because neighbor island residents are at an extreme disadvantage. We only get two days notice for a, a hearing for any bill. There's a 48 hour notice. So the, the hearing notice comes out two days before they're gonna have the hearing. So if somebody wants to come testify, they've got to take off work, buy a plane ticket, get a rental car, get an airplane, go to the Capitol, get two minutes in front of the committee, 
that's an unequal excess to government, right? Yeah. And so with the advent of Zoom, people were able to testify from their couch. And that was really a game changer. And so one thing that you can do, I think, would be to um, be sure, reach out to our uh, majority leader, Speaker Scott Psyche. He represents the Kaka'ako District in our state house. And it's literally entirely up to him about whether we continue offering this access for neighbor island residents. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. It's certainly made the process of being a part of uh, the political voice significantly easier. So I really appreciate it myself. That's for sure. Do um, you have any updates on the Kihei High School? You know, I drive by it every day. I don't see much happening. Can, do you have any updates on that? The, 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 there was a, a huge bid protest that went down over the spring and summer of 2020. That was a huge delay. And then COVID created, I'm sure you're aware, um, working with developers and builders and the delays of receiving materials and getting equipment moved around. It's been a huge um, tax on our economy, I think, and, and recovery. Uh, it's taking what used to take two weeks to get something is taking six weeks to six months to get in state. Um, so, but the, the project is moving along. They're still doing site work. And you might notice that they've put up temporary signals at the um, intersection there at Kulani Hakoi and uh, the Malka side where the school entrance is going to be. And so I think that's what they're going to be working on now so that they can get uh, construction equipment in and out of that site. Okay. Um, that is going to be the location of our state's very first multi-lane roundabout. All right. <laughs> That'll be interesting to see how that works throughout the process. And I believe that's also part of the reason that um, they uh, slowed the traffic down in that area, right, in order to prepare for that? Yeah, they're going to be doing a lot of work there, but the Department of Transportation just announced that they are permanently lowering the speed limit on that portion of Ki'ilani Highway from 40 miles an hour to 35 miles an hour. They had reduced it to 30 temporarily to do the um, uh, guardrail improvement and installation and now they have announced that it will maintain 35 miles an hour beyond um, completion of the roundabout. Oh man, nobody ever listens to that speed limit though. Every time I go through there, it's minimum 50 miles an hour. I Somebody's gonna get super angry at you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I mean, guilty as charged, right? I, I so I cracked it. When, when they lowered it to 30, I'm like, okay, I cannot make the paper. I do not want to get pulled over. I don't want to get a speeding ticket. So I set my cruise control. And so, so like, many angry people. I set it to 39 because you know, 30 is impossible. And you're getting, you know, cruise It's like, so I set it for 39 and you know what? I found that I could get all the way out of Kihei without stopping at a single light. Like, I think I actually could get out of Kihei faster than driving 50 up to a red light, driving 50 way again. Go, way minutes, go, yeah. Minutes at each red light, you know, idling fuel. What the roundabout will do will automatically create um, a, a, a much safer environment for um, drivers and bikers. Um, it is my opinion and one that I share with the Kihei Community Association that we want a pedestrian separated underpass and not mm. to have kids crossing at the street. Um, yeah. The Association is hell bent against it. Oh. And it's a fight we're continuing to have, but we have the support of the Land Use Commission. 
and we are still having that um, discussion and debate. How do we go about supporting an underpass for pedestrians? Um, I would write to the Department of Transportation and the Land Use Commission and absolutely, mm -hmm. and I'd be happy to get you that contact information for a call to action because I don't know if you've seen yeah. the kids spilling off the curbs coming down from the um, Kihei Charter School. Yeah. It's just a tragedy waiting to happen, right? I mean, yeah. you can't kids in traffic. It's also a major expense. You got to have to have an officer there every single time. So they're out there and, you know, it's a waste of resources as right. opposed to just simply having an underpass where kids can go through and be safe from the highway. And the kids were already using the culverts when Kihei High School, when the Kihei Charter School was up in Ohukai, up in North mm -hmm. they were already crossing the highway under the culverts. And so, oh, no kidding. you know, we we know when there's going to be a rain event it would be easy enough to close if we were going to have flash flooding you mm -hmm. know we have the technology and the ability to say okay this space isn't isn't safe for these this one day right how many times i've i've been for two years now i've been watching that gulch to see if it runs a drop and it doesn't like it's and and there are examples of underpasses all across the nation where waterways and pathways are used and so i i just completely disagree with the Department of Transportation's assertion that you cannot put a walkway in a gulch because, I mean, we have a whole development that's looking to go into a gulch here. <laughs> so I, just, I just don't understand. Um, and he's, he's the, the director of the department or the deputy director of the Department of Transportation has been uh, combated on this and I'm standing up to him. I'm just representing my community. So we want an underpass. We're gonna, we're gonna get it one way or the other. That sounds like a much more efficient use as opposed to having to have kids put themselves into danger and more importantly, uh, for everybody's sanity, disrupting the flow of traffic. If you're gonna have people stop, they're gonna, the everything's gonna be fast. <laughs> the roundabouts keep vehicles moving. They keep them moving at a slower pace and putting pedestrians there to cross, it's gonna make everybody crazy. Mm -hmm. It's going to be impossible to maintain that regular speed. The yeah. whole point of a roundabout is to increase the overall average of speed and increase the efficiency of traffic. So A, not having braking means, you know, less uh, wear and tear on the vehicle. It also means more efficient use of gasoline. And right. with the overall speed increasing of cars, you're actually going to get through that area significantly faster. Yeah, the uh, fuel efficiency thing is what's super important to me because sitting and idling at a traffic light is not just a waste of time, it's a waste of fuel and money. And mm -hmm. so I would love to see, I would like the, to see them put a roundabout at Okolani and um, Mikioi mm -hmm. at the entrance to, um, that second entrance to Maui Meadows, be another great place for a roundabout. How does that work with the federal funds? I mean, with the highways and roadways, how, where does the funding come from one of these uh, transportation systems? So all of our roads on Maui are either county or state roads. We don't mm -hmm. have any federal roads. The Department mm -hmm. of Transportation gets federal dollars and they allocate them, you know, however their budgets see fit. Um, Pilani Highway is a state road. So all mm -hmm. the improvements that happen there are state budgeted items. And then if you go down to like South Kihei Road, that's a county road. And so the, all of those improvements are all done with county funding and our local uh, public works and local Department of Transportation. County okay. So that explains, uh, you know, the process of having to go and approve funds is always difficult with a limited budget, especially, you know, now with what happened with COVID, 
uh, with CARES funds, hopefully that's given you know, some things a little bit more uh, actionable timeline as opposed to waiting for the budget to rebalance. <laughs> infrastructure funding that's going to be coming. We have so many opportunities on Maui for infrastructure. We need um, Pi'ilani Highway to be four lanes at the very end from Kilohana to its terminus. Um, you know, I'd like to see more institution of complete streets. That's for sure. Having biking paths for kids, that would be great. We need, we need all of that. Um, I, I put in, I, every year I put in for sidewalks for my CIP, which is, um, uh, excuse me, capital improvement projects, mm -hmm. which is like a separate pot of funding money that goes to a variety of things. And um, I, I can't convince my colleague Kyle Yamashita that um, we really need sidewalks and he wants the county to do it because they're mostly along county streets I'm like can't we, can't we work together let's 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 combine and I see this on Oahu city and county Honolulu Oahu kind of point the finger and say no that's the state because they have a very big budget right very much bigger than the county Maui County budget and then, mm -hmm. and then the state looks and puts their hand out and says, no, that's a county thing. And there's no cooperation. And how much efficiency could we derive if we were planning all of these things together, you know, pooling our resources, our financial resources, our, our human resource assets, I, I, I think we'd be so far ahead. And I have um, sort of modeled this with my colleague, Kelly King, who I've already worked together with in cam campaigning and two of us both represent South Maui in our in our offices, and we do work together and try to try to coordinate and cooperate, collaborate on projects. I love one that. The, one of the things we were talking about before we started, Clint, me and uh, Tina were talking mm -hmm. about is affordable housing. Oh yeah. Like you know, talking about that. What on the state level or the county level or the you know you're you're trying to move, usher through, Tina, or what are your ideas? Well, I I would like to see more state land used for housing um you know we have so many people we have hawaiians who aren't in housing um i had a constituent who lives in north kihei ask if some of the state lands dhhl lands that are down in way down deep in mckenna that have no infrastructure that would be impossible to live on any time in the near decades because they don't have water they don't have electricity they have no roads could be could be traded for, for properties that might be, you know, already with those resources. And so mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. Um, but largely we need to kind of prioritize building for work workforce. You know, I'm losing employees. I have an, I'm, I'm just an anecdotal example. I run the ice company. I employ uh, 15 to 18 people at any given time. Uh, my drivers are, like gold to me and they're very hard to replace when you lose one i had a driver whose house he was house he was renting was sold to a cash buyer and he had got any 30-day eviction notice and had to find a new place couldn't and said he's moving to florida and quit wow so that's all bummer. over he it's should be able to get a 45-day notice you know the only time that you can generally evict somebody beyond your um uh, a contract is when it's a, an owner occupant and then they normally can ha have to abide by a 45 
um, you know, unless there's some other kind of advance notice that's been given. And that is really tough. I mean, one of the biggest issues that Hawaii has to face and one of the biz biggest costs for all people who live here is the cost of living. And that almost entirely stems down to the high price of housing out here. And it's a really tough thing that Maui has to deal with, you know, for our island, because we're, you know, A, a very sought after land, you know, and B, we're, you know, dealing with the fact that we're the most geographically isolated place in the planet. And, you know, there really does have to be some means or mechanism in order to subsidize the cost for these, these housing. And, and I loved uh, in your July 2nd, 2019, um, you know, when you were talking about, you know, other options, uh, having, you know, transit oriented development model uh, for development. And I've actually talked about this with a few other people, and it seems to be getting really good community support, um, you know, as well as, um, you know, uh, economic, you know, Paul Brubaker even thought, you know, while he's more of a free market person thought, you know, hey, it, the cost is something that has to be overcome, you know, it's not just the issues and stumbling blocks with the process of getting things approved, it's this major cost. And the, the vehicle that I thought was most productive would be actually um, using tourism because that's our main resource for Hawaii. Obviously we're trying to diversify our uh, means of stimulating the economy, not just tourism, but if we had, uh, let's just say, an incentivization for developers to make it more profitable for them to create uh, affordable housing for the people of Maui, it's a win-win, and that rarely happens. Our economy is almost entirely beat built off of winners and losers. And in this way, let's just say, for example, a development gets built and there's a price set for these homes, you know, real affordable housing, you know, uh, 250, $350,000, $450,000 homes that are designed to be affordable um, for the local people. And if they could build these, it would be great, but the cost is impossible. I mean, that would mean they would be losing hundreds of thousands of dollars. So my proposal would be to have them vacation rent the home and every year that they rent it, they can basically, you know, pretty much be netting about $100,000 and some potentially, it goes directly into the homeowner's pocket because that's equity for their future. They're gonna have to hold it probably for 10 to 20 years. And then that goes to help the, the, the local you know, developers that are living and the employees that are on island, as opposed to the tourism dollars going to foreign governments and, you know, mainland corporations. So I've always felt that, you know, a transient, uh, transient oriented, you know, pulling from the tourism to specifically benefit that as well as the people of Maui is a wonderful model. I just, you know, how to accomplish that is an undertaking that would be difficult. Yeah, I mean, it's obvious that the developers want to do luxury development, right? That maximizes their profit. Um, and that's all we've seen, except for the very recent um, affordable rental units that have been developed in North Kihei. Um, mostly in South Maui, we've had luxury development for over the last 10, 15 years. Yeah. How can that, you know, I think increasing density, sure, everybody wants a house with their own yard, but what if, what if we pivoted to more of a townhome model where we could get more density and more units in the parcel so that the developer can make the money and the people do get the equity, not quite the, you know, more than the condo, nobody wants to live in a habit trail, mm -hmm. um, people need space, but what about a town, a townhome 
you know. Yeah, those Milo Court properties are fantastic. Townhome, what they've did up there, they have two car garages, they have yards, you know, they have, that's a real home. And they're able to minimize those costs by having shared walls and shared responsibilities with the individuals in the neighborhood. And it's created real housing and a real home life. If somebody wants to trade up into another market, that's definitely possible. But again, even those, uh, you know, they're, the developers not only have the major expense of getting materials here, they also have the significant amount of time of going through the county process. And everybody, you know, is a NIMBY, not in my backyard, even though they might have something that's approved or whatnot. Um, uh, over a general plan, getting down to the specific and brass tacks is expensive and more importantly, time consuming. It's, you know, 15 to 25 years is somebody's entire career. So it's, it's not an easy task to make affordable housing. And, and if it was profitable, they would at least have the direction and uh, end goal. Right now, forcing a higher percentage of homes to be affordable just means no development will happen at all. So instead, we got to figure out a way to make it more profitable for developers to create, you know, these, these homes for the people of Maui. And I, I'd like to see, you know, as opposed to vacation rentals tearing apart neighborhoods, I want to see vacation rentals building housing for Hawaii families, you know? Yeah, we, we, we have we've reached critical housing challenge with low inventory and of course you all are right in the thick of it with the cash buyers coming from the mainland you know i had uh someone ask me well can't we do what new zealand did you know and just say no no foreign buyers only local buyers and i said well you know that is a post-sovereignty opportunity we have interstate commerce laws here we cannot prevent people from coming to buy a place you cannot discriminate in buyers so Precisely. Um, we, we, we have a lot of challenges. There are a lot of ideas out there. Most of these fixes have to be at the county level, zoning mm -hmm. and permitting and all of that is entirely a county function. So um, the, the, I, it would be great to have statewide policy that really incentivized, you know, maybe as you said, subsidy and the, the, the transit oriented development model. Um, demonstrates infrastructure first. So you're not putting in development without the appropriate roads, without the appropriate wastewater, without the appropriate um, utilities. And so I, th I think that's where, where we can see some improvement in how we plan and develop our communities. And I think it's important to adhere to the community plans that are in place. Absolutely. Oftentimes development happens and we have community plans in place. Some of them are not updated. West Maui has just finished their update uh, Kihei, South Maui is in the middle of their community plan update with the planning department, and that group is doing a fabulous job. I don't know if you've joined any of their meetings or checked out their website, but go key. Um, we are South Maui, I think, is the yeah. website. We what are is, South Maui. All right. What is your, on your, or what, what are you trying to achieve or your goals or your legislation that you're working on during this term? So I've got a, I kind of have interest in a lot of different areas. As I explained, I started out as an environmental uh, activist with clean air and clean water concerns. But now that I've been in office for several years, I find myself um, learning about and caring about many other issues. Um, I was taken off the environmental committees this term and put onto the government reform committee and the pandemic and disaster preparedness committee, which I am really enthusiastic about. I've been working with 
HIEMA, the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency, and our local NEMA, Maui Emergency Management Agency. And uh, I, with a group of volunteers, have spent the last year and a half preparing South Maui with the Hawaii Hazards Awareness Resiliency Preparedness Program, which is a FEMA program. So we've got this document where we have um, incorporated everything that we have as an asset or a vulnerability that can be used now. And we're, we'll be having, actually we'll be having our um, community meeting on this. I think um, uh, I'll do a little plug really quick. Uh, and I think January 20, no, that's the Little Beach gig. Where, where is our heart? But no, yep. Um, we're gonna do a virtual event at um, Maui Brewing Company. And we're gonna broadcast on Zoom and kind of introduce our preparedness plan to the community on um, July, excuse me, June 23rd. So really excited about that. I'm really excited. I'm, I'm really glad with Maui Brewing being one of the locations. It's good to see actual manufacturing exist on Maui. And again, having a means and, and more of a diversified economy here. So, I mean, obviously it lays into tourism a little bit, but that's wonderful that you chose that spot. <laughs> and, and the film industry, um, working very closely with, with Garrett uh, and the, the um, work that he's doing. Um, he's an excellent advocate. Um, I cooperated with him on a bill to um, raise the rate for um, homestead exemption. Mm -hmm. uh, he was concerned about people that uh, are in uh, commercial property that have not been able to make their bills being foreclosed upon and not getting a, right now I think the homeowners homestead exemption is only like $20,000 or something mm -hmm. our property values are really dictate a need for a higher rate um, astronomically higher <laughs> not make it through the process but I worked very closely with Garrett and putting that forward so being in like I, I, I live in Wailuku when you come up for where your next election or when you're you know, running for office, does Wailuku get a vote for you too or up country or is it just Kihei? So right now, if, it, if I run in, uh, in the state house seat, I'll be running an only residents of uh, District 11. So Kihei, Wailea and McKenna can vote for me. So most of my voters are in central and north Kihei. Um, okay. I think there's like 15 registered voters <laughs> oh, and, wow. <laughs> and like five in McKenna, right? Those are all second home uh, people whose first home and registered voting is elsewhere. And so, um, yeah, so Wailuku can't vote for me yet. Um, depending on whether I run for higher office, if I uh, decide to run for Senate, state Senate, then Lahaina and Kihei could vote for me. Mm -hmm. And um, of course, and you go countywide or countywide. That, that's where people get confused because on your ballot, your county ballot, you can vote for all nine council seats, no matter where you live. And you should yeah. vote for all nine. And big plug for our any upcoming ballots, vote all nine of your council seats. Don't leave any blanks. We have tens of thousands of blank votes for each seat where people either don't know that they can vote for each seat or they don't want to vote for the other members. But- One of the other things I've noticed that's real strong on your side or your position is the um, medical. You know, I, I read it on your page it's about medical you're pushing for is that we don't have that on Maui like we should. We, we, we're in a medical crisis here on, on a daily basis. We do not have providers and specialists. Um, 
I have a broken arm right now. And mm. by the time I got to see a doctor, he said, oh, shoot, I wish I saw you a month ago. Um, you should have had surgery, but there is not uh, uh, an orthopedist for me to see here. So I managed to get an appointment in Oahu and he wanted to operate, but I've been in a splint for four weeks and I really, I'm, I'm going to wait and go to PT and see what I can do before I go through reconstructive surgery after the fact, because we don't have access to, especially in the, in, you know, outside of the GP area, we have limited women's health accessibility. We have limited orthopedic. We have limited, you know, any of the specialties. I think there's no urologist on Maui right now. Mm. So um, the export model of medical care to Oahu fails neighbor islands. And that's something you're right that I have been very vocal about, even though like I'm not on the human <laughs> services committee, yeah. not technically my wheelhouse, but <laughs> if I need care, I know there's other people that need care and aren't getting it. So yeah. One of the big problems is all comes down to the high expense of property here in Hawaii, you know, especially for outer islands. And, and of course, uh, when I've been uh, listening to a lot of the doctors and issues coming up, of course, they have the higher taxes. And one of the proposed plans was allowing a full uh, credit for, you know, the, the, um, GET, things of that nature, in order to make it so that they don't have these, these extra high because they're not able to pass those charges on oftentimes they need to you know bear the brunt of it and it's patients right that are yeah that, are, that qualify for assisted uh, medical coverage from the state um i was i was having that discussion i'm like really four percent is going to make or break whether doctors stay here i was sort of skeptical about that but i had a advocate four percent's a lot <laughs> if you have a four percent profit margin that's incredible <laughs> um, right and so my thing is that the state gives away $270 million a year to HMSA mm. to manage our state, our employee state health system and our Quest system, our Medicaid system. And what if we took that, took that player out and kept that money and used that money to manage a single payer system? So I am very much a single payer uh, proponent for our medical system. The Hawaii Health Authority uh, is an entity that exists but is not funded in the state where they're talking about if we had a single payer structure the the biggest cost for the doctors is their administration cost to deal with all of the different insurance structures and if we could eliminate those costs that'd be a lot more than four percent for our doctor's offices i think yeah the process of getting paid for a doctor and the time in between which uh an event happens and they get reimbursed is often years and years i talk to many doctors who have had to go out of business because they've been waiting up to a decade to get paid for things that have already happened so <laughs> you're absolutely right i'm highly critical of the insurance industry for a variety of reasons imagine absolutely so um, that being said, uh, with uh, some of our earlier conversations associated with the need, you know, for you know having more um, doctors here for specialty items and incentivizing doctors to come here, housing of course comes into play for that as well. Um, uh, then, of course, circling back to ways of um, trying to no longer have a a round peg or a round hole filled with a square peg. Are there other opportunities do you think out there for us to subsidize or create more affordable housing? I mean, one of the things that uh, 
or family has been involved in was uh, Nahali O'Maui, and which is, of course, a community land trust. Uh, we we're one of the original funders in order to help, you know, bring that out there. And it's been a wonderful opportunity to see them, you know, grow and have more houses and get people into homes. Um, and of course, there's Habitat for Humanity, who also does a wonderful job for creating homes. Um, is it, so what, what other programs would you like to see either A, better funded, or B, uh, other opportunities out there to put Maui people into Maui homes? Yeah, I would love to see the Nahali O'Maui model scaled up. She's doing amazing work, one, one house at a time, right? Or two houses at a time. And as you mentioned, Homeownership is a single long-term financial leg up for families to make it, you know, developing your equity in your property, that and a, and a retirement program, a pension or a, a 401k, those two things, you know, I wouldn't have experienced the success that my husband and I have realized from our hard work if we had not owned our home and not invested in a retirement fund. And so these two items are so important. And the Nahali O'Malley model is the perfect example. Um, I'd like to see more uh, exploitation of the USDA financing issues. I don't know, Byron, if you work with the USDA in any of your funding. Um, yes. I'm concerned that South Maui will no longer qualify after the census because you have yes. to be a certain low population. So mm -hmm. that window may be closing for our community and something that maybe we could try to blast and get as many people. But but then again, it's inventory, right? If, they're, if there's no inventory, yeah. there's to- Yeah, we have a shortfall of almost 10,000 homes on the island for local families. And um, of course, the only place that there's even anything remotely affordable is uh, Central Maui. And of course, there's uh, large burial complexes that you have to contend with there. Um, the upper island uh, or upper hillside where there's less sand is, of course, uh, easier to develop. And um, but uh, there's always contentious time issues to go ahead and deal with water issues and whatnot. Um, even though Maui has more water than Oahu, it's our infrastructure problem. That's the biggest issue. And of course, uh, the, the big thing is limiting that price and, and an effective way to make it so that developers are willing to put the time, energy, and money into uh, going through the long extenuating process to, to build homes for Maui people. And um, I'd like, of course, to see more affordable housing to be where people live and work. I mean, the majority of the traffic that goes out to Lahaina is people that are working out there. They live in central Maui. They're going out there. If, you know, let's say, for example, again, back to the transient oriented development model, if we, um, you know, built homes there, gave them the special dispensation to do vacation rentals out of those homes, the developer themselves subsidized the cost and then sold those homes first to people who live and work there, that basically is allowable under you know, particular constitutional rules and is not infringing because it's a special license issued by the county. And then um, you know, in addition to that, it most importantly reduces the amount of traffic going and using a very limited infrastructure system that's there. So, I mean, to me, I think that is uh, something that Maui has to work is getting people to live and work in the same place. And more importantly, incentivizing developers to create those affordable housings. 
and, and that's lifestyle, right? If you're spending two hours of your day going to and from work, that's super low quality of life. That's, that's your free time that you're not able to spend with your family, winding down, taking care of your kids, helping with homework, or, you know, I, you know, so many people commute from the South side to the West side or vice versa, the West side to the South side or up country to either destination and you're right. Um, our public transportation system isn't adequate to make use of that. You know, nobody, nobody's going to plan to use a bus that comes once every hour. You know, if you're on a schedule, that just doesn't work. And that bus out of Lahaina, that one's full. And sometimes you have to wait for the next one, which also doesn't come for another hour. So I think investing in our public transportation system, mm -hmm. our bus system would benefit our communities an awful lot and agreed on live in the community where you work. Absolutely. Um, we have of course, that's almost problems. impossible for people in Lahaina, just because the average cost of a home is, you know, upwards of 100,000 more than anywhere else on the island. And, you know, 250 to $300,000 more than central Maui. So it's, it's yeah, tough there's, for there's Lahaina. There's a affordable housing project that just went online last year, right in Kanapali. A girlfriend of mine happened to win one of the lottery for that. She has a beautiful home right, right there in Kanapali, and it's all local working families. I'm very excited about the Vela Street development in uh, very South Kihei, just across the street from the Five Palms. They're putting in, I think, 30 affordable homes, and, and I'm talking under 600,000. Yeah. So, you know, homes for policemen, for firemen, for teachers, for the people that live and work in our community, get, get some people out of, because there is no, we have, we have learned this year that there is zero security in rental housing. There's zero housing security if you're a renter. You, yeah. You know, it, it, you can be kicked out of your housing, as you said, with 45 days notice and, and, you know, no apology, no nothing, just get out. And so, mm -hmm. there's of course, a lot of those things come the the notice that's given is people who are going to be living in it. And that's the big scary part is you might think, man, it really sucks for the renter. But it also it's it's a bummer for the person having to kick them out. They're moving in or oftentimes purchasing because they're getting evicted from their place. It's this long chain of issues that's deriving from, you know, just the lack of housing in general, as mentioned, and, you know, it's, it, we're close to 10,000 homes that are behind, even with the 500 that are being built a year, you know, not, not a large enough percentage of those is affordable. And uh, in addition to that, it comes significantly short of the increasing demand. So, I mean, there has to be some significant move to increase uh, inventory rapidly and specifically for the people of Maui. And, and I've noticed anecdotally, uh, um, many, many newcomers, many Malahini here who already owned second properties and have decided for either COVID safety or for economic reasons to leave their mainland property, rent that out and come live in what used to be a rental property here. Mm -hmm. and so, Absolutely. And there's, that's not a crime, but it's a displacing folks that had housing here and it's no longer available. The work from anywhere movement has definitely increased that number too, because people now have the ability to work and live um, far away from their major and central employer, which is has its both positives and negatives because it diversifies our economy, uh, you know, to not just tourism, but at the same problem. time, Most people yeah. don't pay state income tax, which is precisely if they're here for six months. They should be paying state income taxes and not claiming 
tax, like if they come from a state like Oregon that doesn't have a state tax, is it or Oregon or Washington doesn't have state? So tax. Oregon uh, doesn't have state taxes. So, so somebody yeah. could be remote working from Oregon, living and working here, enjoying all of our amenities, all of our infrastructure, all of our roads, and, and all they're paying is the 4% GE tax on their grocery, mm -hmm. not paying property. If they purchase, they're paying property taxes, but we really need those people who are commuting in here to be paying state income tax. Undoubtedly. And that's actually an issue that uh, they're dealing with all across the United States with the um, general gentrification of places like Idaho, you know, that had, or uh, Montana that had uh, significantly affordable properties by comparison to Hawaii. I mean, you know, a starter home there was 180,000. And then within a year's time, it's more than doubled. And it's, it's, you know, beautiful area. And uh, people are now living and working there technically, even though their jobs in another place, which is, you know, made it very difficult. And Maui, of course, is pretty much the most desirable location on the planet, let alone inside the United States. So we're having a lot of people move here and a lot more competition for the limited housing that exists. I'm wondering if this is on your radar for both of you. Um, private equity is starting to get into the real estate business and private mm -hmm. equity is scooping up single family homes all over the country and turning them into kind of slumlord rentals where they, they jack the rents, they boot tenants, jack the rents, and then are roundly unresponsive to needs for improvement or investment or repair. And it's uh, something that's happening all over the mainland. And I'm wondering if that is starting to happen here with the example I was talking to Byron about in, in Kilo. Not yet. So not for Maui specifically. Um, I'll ask some of my other uh, people and agents that we, you know, round table with on the other islands, if they've noticed anything like that, from my understanding, uh, that funding has come to uh, limited high dollar areas, uh, large infrastructure places like cities and, and, um, you know, when they have large data sets. Um, they can, it's easier for them to make decisions to just basically write a check because people live and work in a high population area. And then that it's it basically the house and property itself becomes a financial instrument of the corporation. And um, it is uh, definitely a danger because Maui has a, a very positive track record on increasing prices. So whatever their stake is, it helps, you know, pay for it by having those high rents. And, um, you know, the, again, it's one of those things that we have to help the people of Maui and, and protect them from stuff like that. But right now, there's no state that this is becoming a problem that I'm aware of that has a vehicle to prevent it, you know, because mm -hmm. corporations are people, apparently. <laughs> this is coming, coming down the pike. Yep. No, I, I haven't seen anything, but I think we got to wrap this up. And so, Tina, yep. what would you like to say your end, you know? information to us or to our listeners feel free to finish us off well i just want to thank you both for the invitation to have a robust discussion about important issues happening to our south maui constituents your customers and my customers um, i look forward to continuing to serve our community um, the, the most important thing everybody can do is register to vote and vote make sure you vote in your primaries um, most of our decision make, uh, decisions for offices are made in the primary race, which happens in the summertime. So everybody get registered to vote. 
Um, if you're interested in a little bit higher level of participation, go onto the state website and register at uh, capital.hawaii.gov. That's capital with an O, capital O-L, .hawaii.gov. Register with your email. That way you can submit written testimony for um, bills that come up. You can ask for uh, subject matter that you're interested in. For instance, if you're interested in lending and real estate, you can put that into the into the search category and you can get notified whenever there's gonna be a hearing on any bills in that subject matter. And take that extra minute to submit testimony because it really does matter. When we go into a committee hearing and we're hearing a bunch of bills, we look at the testimony. It's not offered to us often with enough time, but you get to see how many people testified. And if you have a bill before you and you've got 100, 200 people that have submitted testimony against it, that carries weight. You know, we have, we have a, you know, over a million people, 1.45 million people in our state, a little 200 people testifying about a bill can make or break it. Absolutely. So testifying in support or testifying against, um, follow your, follow your representatives, get on their websites, get their newsletters, and that way you can be better informed about what's happening in your community. I, I kind of chuckle when somebody writes me and says, what do you mean there's going to be a roundabout in P. Lonnie? I'm like, well, done deal, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Should have been there for the testimony <laughs> portion in the it, party. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, this, this, this decision was made a while back. And so <laughs> let's all get acclimated to it. So, so cool. Thank yeah. you so much for joining us this afternoon. I really appreciate talking to you about Maui problems and, and thank you so much for all your help with the South Maui district and what you've been doing for South Maui. Um, again, I'm Clint Hansen with Maui Luxury Real Estate. You can listen to this show for the KAOI radio group at MauiRealEstateRadio.com or search for real estate at MauiRealEstate.net. Um, my family's been selling real estate on island for over 30 years. I've had my license for over 20. Uh, and I'm always recommending, of course, Byron Yap at Axia Home Loans. Tell us about you. Uh, Byron Yap with Axia Home Loans. NMLS number is 860092. I can be reached via email at byron.yap at axiahomeloans.com. And again, Tina, there. thank you, Mrs. Wildberger, for coming and helping us today. Thanks for having me. Um, you can reach my office at rep, R-E-P, Wildberger, no use, at capital.hawaii.gov. And my office phone number is 808-586-8525. If I can help any constituents with any issue, please feel free to reach out. Thank you very All much. All right. Thank Aloha. You very much.